Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. Magical, enigmatical, gift of gab, super, super, agile, story, from the space Come, well lit. Right, nice. And then you can monitor through the headphones, of course. Yep, yep, but yep. This is your world, so uh, I don't have to tell you about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we'll just uh, talk about your this uh, fantastic life of yours. <laughs> living it, living Seriously, it, baby, living it, living the life. So I'll just give you a little bit of an introduction, and then we'll okay, we'll freestyle. Cool. Go. Let's go. You ready to do it? Of course. Always. You were born ready. Always. You don't have to get ready if you stay ready. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. All right, here we go. Good afternoon, and welcome back to another episode of Firelight Chats, where we broadcast the most super, natural, and compelling voices and stories from our Space Lab studio here in Da'an, Taipei, Taiwan. 2,000 years ago, the Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius indulged in reflective, reverberating meditations. Fast, scratch, forward a couple centuries, scribble, scrub, back to the future, and the emperor has been reincarnated through a smoke machine, high times, Aurelius to Aurora Australis, major laser lifted, remix into a party rock and dance-inducing jazzy DJ extraordinaire. A bootleg mashup of hip-hop and a versatile melange of everything else soulful and baseline booty shaking. Oh yeah. Ohio analog beats cross-faded with big Taiwan breaks, Asian waves on tropical beaches, gyrating bottoms on rooftops, slippery decks, fluid pools, rainbows of sweaty bodies colliding, EQ, more game, penthouse, razor roof, FX, good vibes, the visceral indulgence of ecstasy. Strobing back and forth like battling beats of dopamine over a funky stu 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 stuttering serotonin turntable of hot, spotty, oddy, dopalicious memories. 25 years off and on in Taiwan might sound like a long time, but his OG uncle of the music game was MIT, made in Taiwan long before him. And from all this lineage, from Western meets Eastern civilization, He's hustled his way from the triple stages of darkness Ooh, to dankness to becoming a two-time Taiwan Red Bull three-style DJ competition finalist, contributing reporter to the Vinyl Word, Word. Taipei Good Times, editor-in-chief of an Asia-focused hip-hop magazine, and he's still out there, out and about, making sure everyone's lifted and Ooh. having fun. So there it is, and here we go. If you can't take the heat, maybe take a little off or everything. Otherwise, it's advisable to just chill, live, and puff, puff, let live, and put on some headphones to the beats. We'll freestyle without any particular destination. So please enjoy the ride with a free mind with our special guest of this latest episode of Firelight Chats, the one and only Master Blaster, DJ Marcus Aurelius. Ooh, you know, I've heard a couple of those. 
I have to say that one was pretty damn good. Oh, that one's damn. pretty damn good. Woo. All right, we're Woo. gonna have to rock the club. Woo. Woo. <laughs> I'm hot. I'm hot. Exactly. It's getting hot in temperature here. Temperature got turned up. It's getting hot in here. Exactly. We turned it up. Yeah. yeah. Nice job. But, nice but we job. We have to because uh, the king is here. The emperor is <laughs> back from the dead. Oh yeah. Yes. So let's get into that. Sure. Where does this name come from, sir? You know, immediately what's, from the start. All good. My mother. So when I was a kid, the funniest thing was every time, like the first day of school, they introduce you, but they say your full name. So they would say Marcus Aurelius Maurice. And my friends would always laugh and they'd say a real ass, a real ass, a real ass, a real Aurelius, ass. A real ass. Yeah. And they get me. So I did not like this. So I was very anti Aurelius. For a very long time. So that's your real middle name. So that's my name. real middle name. And then I started DJing. I did the triple stage of darkness stuff, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm. But when I was going out on my own, I needed a name. And so I went, <laughs> I had a couple of really bad names, but <laughs> I finally decided to be Marcus Aurelius because it was my name, right? That's your name. And then I asked my mom, you know, I said, mom, finally, you know, like I'm using it. I'm using it. You know, what were you going through in your mind during this time? What were you thinking about? She's like, oh, it sounded cool. <laughs> so I'm like thinking all this deep stuff. Oh, I've read all the, all the philosophy, all the, all this. She's like, oh, that's cool. So she was a hippie. She was a protester. You know what I mean? And oh. so, and a single parent, I've never met my father. I don't mm. even know his name, you know, stuff like Ooh, that. And okay. so it was just kind of like, she took care of me. You know, she would take me to the picket lines when I was three years old, four years old. So all her friends remember me from like sleeping in the car, doing things like that. Oh, wow. And so I'm thinking, you know, like, oh, it's going to be so deep, so meaningful, you know, like, <laughs> oh, she thought about stoicism and that was her thing. And she's just like, yo, it sounded good. It sounded good. <laughs> and I was like, okay, While well, cool. I was protesting on this. <laughs> Some on of the, the protests. She got, she got arrested. One of the coolest things that wasn't very cool then. Right. Okay. Well, she got arrested for writing scab on a door Ooh, during the a union dur scabs. Yeah, during a march. Okay. And it was on the front page of the newspaper and all the news because it was like during a march. So they videoed her getting arrested. And so I thought, man, this is cool. My mom just got arrested. And then I went to school the next day and everyone's like, your mom's in jail. Your mom's in jail. Ah, and you're a real ass. A real ass. His mom's in jail, you know? And so I was like, well, that's not cool. But I do have the newspapers now. I still have the front page of the Ooh, newspapers with her on it. That's cool. And she's, she has dementia and will, she's very close to passing away. Mm. But uh, once that happens, I want to like put it in a like woodwork or something like that, you know, kind of glue it. Commemorate. Yeah, to do it. And because it's a great, you know, she was, she was standing up for the people. Yeah, know? exactly. So that was cool. That's amazing. So this is all in Ohio. Ohio, Warren, Ohio, say 45 minutes, an hour from Cleveland, kind of right between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Okay. So kind of right, right there in the middle near Youngstown, Ohio. Oh yeah. That was kind of a gangster capital back in the seventies, eighties. You know what I mean? They had the exactly. Youngstown. What was it? The Youngstown breakfast was like a car bomb. They called it, you okay. know, something like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Youngstown. Oh wow. So what about Warren? Warren was 55,000 people. Now it's 30,000, 25,000. So it was like a mini Detroit. People worked there at the factories once the factories left, everyone left. Mm. So it's kind of been, since I've been gone for 24 years, 25 years, it has just been going downhill and downhill and downhill. So every time I go home two or three years later, two or three years later, 
the places that I used to go to all the time would just be shut down. Nothing would be opened up in its place, just kind of decrepit. But the last two times I've been home, it's starting to pick up. And they're kind of like, you know, my buddies bought like a block. So they opened up a new place there called Urban Tap. And it's super nice. You know, like they built it really, really nicely. And there's a couple other places that are like little craft beer places, a gay bar, which would have been unthinkable, you know, X amount of years ago, stuff like that. I mean, a publicly gay bar. There were a couple of gay bars, like side ones. But, you know, so Warren, Ohio is starting to get, you know, it's always been down. And then it's just like recently the last five, seven, eight years, it's just kind of like starting to build up. But it was a it's a town that voted for Obama and then voted for Trump. One of those American one, one, towns. One of those towns, you know. Complicated towns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as my furious hatred for Trump comes through, I've had a lot of friendships kind of, Ooh. you know, kind of hurt during this time. But I think <laughs> right. I think we're kind of on the mend with a lot of people. You know what I mean? Okay. So it's a great place to live for me, at least, you know. Mm. And then I went to Ohio State. Uh, the Ohio the State. The Ohio State University yes. for college. And that was fantastic. I mean, that's if you want a college experience, you know, I mean, it's that's the, a it, real American <laughs> it's, college it, experience. It is. It is. And I lived <laughs> one year I lived right next to the stadium with a hundred thousand people. And man, I tell you, I got a good story about that place. <laughs> I hated it. Okay. <laughs> Everyone in Ohio, O-H-I-O, right, O-H-I-O, right, right. all this, all this stuff. Football games, tailgating. And they closed down all the roads by the thing, which was where my place was. And here's the thing. They blocked this road and have a party on the road. But where my house was, was like where the people who didn't want to wait in line for the bathroom would go try to sneak off and pee. Oh, okay. Nice. So right where I right. parked my car was where everyone <laughs> was went to toilet. Was, was, was a went public to go tailgating pee. toilet. And so it was so nasty on game days. And I would sit there. They had like a little, it was like a little squeeze thing that you could wash the dishes with. And girls would like plop down and try to like look around and do this. And I just squirt water out the window and start getting them wet. So oh, they're peeing. And, and, and then, and then I duck around. They, right, they, couldn't, right, they right. couldn't see what was going on. So they're like, what the hell? Ohio State was great in that sense. But as far as like drunken mayhem yeah you know starting at really people tailgate there it's kegs and eggs exactly so six in the morning five in the morning so people are just obliterated by noon you know <laughs> what i mean so if you want to do something else besides an ohio state game good luck you know you're not getting in and out of that part of the city you're not you know it's chaos living near the toilet were you <laughs> able to study at all during this university time of yours i mean i think what i decided to do was just do enough to get through because I knew I wasn't going to be magna cum laude, sumo cum laude. Once that happened, I just thought I'm going to try to live life. And so Ohio State for me was one part to going to college and another part learning about life. Mm. And so I feel like that did a great thing for me to teach me about life and teach me about different people and teach me all these things that weren't necessarily from the books. I loved it. The main street was so much fun. You know, there's bars all over the place, record shops, you know, that kind of started my journey of like going to the record store every Tuesday, midnight sales on Monday night to go listen to whatever's coming out. You know what I mean? I remember being in line at midnight for Snoop Dogg, What's My Name, the album coming out with 300 other people waiting for this album to come out and playing it, you know, right at midnight, playing it, everyone's dancing in the street. Dr. Dre, the chronic. Yeah, the chronic. Oh, man. And so it was just like those memories are burnt into my head and are still part of my soul 25 years later. I played three or four Dre tracks this weekend from the chronic. From the chronic, really. And so I look at it as I go back there now. So I went back there 
recently, the last time I was home, and they were having this project that they were going to take all the crappy bars down and build new shops and all this stuff. And they've done it. They're talking about it for 10 or 15 years before they actually got to it. And they've done it and it looks nice, but it's kind of lost a bit of its soul, like mm. the gentrification-ish kind yeah. of, you know, but there's still record stores down there. There's still all kinds of cool stuff. There's still crazy people walking around. So it's fun. So was that your first time in a record shop, like in college or? No, 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 no. I used to skip school on Tuesday at lunch, <laughs> go to the record store to get the album that was coming out that Tuesday so that I could listen to it at lunch. So people in class would be like, oh, did you hear the new Ice Cube? Are you getting a new Ice Cube tonight? And I'd be like, I listened to it already at <laughs> lunchtime. As like a junior high school kid. <laughs> As a senior high school kid. For my senior year, I had two or three hours and during the middle of the day that I could sneak away if they didn't really care too much. You know, you're a senior. They're just kind of like, don't let us know. So we could kind of sneak away and do things. So you grew up near Youngstown, which you said was like a gangster's paradise. Correct. How was your childhood? Was it rough? Was it fun? Was it crazy? My, was chi it? my childhood was definitely not rough. I lived, like I said, I had a single mother, but I wasn't really raised by a single mother. I was raised with my grandparents and my uncles. So it was like, instead of one parent, it was probably like six. And my two grandparents were teachers. So they knew everybody in town. My uncles were always around. My mom was always around. So we were a very tight knit family. And I'd say firmly entrenched in the middle class. And, you know, I was a skateboarder. So I think the two things for me that have affected a lot of my life are skateboarding and hip hop. And they kind of teach you the same lesson. You fall down, you get back up, fall forward, fall again, change this time when you fall, you know, stuff like that. So I skated and just having a skateboard and being able to go around town, go, you know, five kilometers this way, this, whatever, whatever. So it was great. So my childhood was filled with going to skate spots and going to Cleveland, go to a skate park there and meet up some skaters there and become friends with them and then go to Pittsburgh, do that, you know, stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun. I think my upbringing, you know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I had a tortured childhood and all this stuff. I think the opposite okay? mm. as an only child which of course is a little bit spoiled, but I felt my childhood was very normal and wonderful. I only think of good memories when I think back in my childhood, for sure. Mm. You mentioned you live with an uncle. Is this the uncle? It wasn't the uncle because okay. he was here already. Yeah. So you finally graduated. I did graduate after five years. Okay. <laughs> it, took, it took an extra year, but you know, right. like, I, like I said, parting. like I said, I learned a lot. Nice. What kind of uh, degree did you get? What did you study? My degree is in telecommunications and new media technologies. Ooh. And so that was right before. So video editing, my final project was doing a five minute documentary on smoking weed, surprisingly enough. No. Right? How and, dare you? And, uh, and it was probably one of the last years that they use, still use the VHSs, the VHS tapes to like cut and edit things before it went digital. So oh, you 90, were cutting VHS. 97, that was the year I graduated. So that was still, they were still using VHS tapes. Yeah. That's gangster. Yeah. And, and we could rent, we could use the school's cameras so we could be, you know, have these big cameras and take them around and do all this stuff. So what was, was this project on smoking weed? I got to know more. Um, <laughs> it was pretty bad to be honest. I wish I had a digital copy, but I know the high, the highlight, classic. the highlight of this, so to speak, of this project was we we're out on the street in front of like a shop that sold bongs, mm. marijuana paraphernalia. Right. Okay. And we're interviewing people about their beliefs on marijuana. Mm. You know, do you think it should be legalized? This type of thing, this type of thing. And of course, for context, this was totally yeah. illegal yeah. at this time. Yeah. Super illegal at this time. But 
you're allowed to sell the paraphernalia saying, you know, it's okay, for this, tobacco only. The six foot bong is for smoking tobacco. <laughs> exactly. like, if you took a hit of a six foot bong for tobacco. Yeah. Burning cilantro. I, I, you would die. I don't know what would happen to you, but <laughs> it wouldn't be good. Exactly. But uh, so we're interviewing people, you know, just man on the street interviews. And this small person came up and his long hair, kind of homeless looking small person came up and he comes to me and goes, hey, come here. And I was like, what? I was like, can you get on camera, please? I really want we really. And he's like, no, no, no. I know you're a narc. <laughs> I know you're a narc. I know you're just doing this. Yeah, you working for the FBI. Oh. Starts going crazy. And I'm like, OK, this guy's goofy, but we want to get him on camera. Yeah, okay? that's great content. <laughs> so we put him on the camera. He says some weird shit, throws the mic down, does all this stuff. And then later we're still around, you know, it's like an hour or two later, he comes up and goes, I used to be an actor. And I was like, mm. he wasn't the leading man type, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, he said he was in Monty Python's Holy Grail. What? And I was like, Do you you're full British of it. British accent. You're, you're full of it. Anyway, I went to the Blockbuster, which was still a thing at that time. Yeah, right. And Monty Python's Holy Grail was on the shelf and I looked at it and he was there. And there was a small man on there. There was a small man <laughs> On the, on the cover. Like a Noah, Noah's Ark with all the characters of the movie. And oh. He was actually in it. And I was like, holy shit. I guess the Screen Actors Guild didn't have a retirement plan. So, oh. But it was, you know, so the movie kind of was bad. And I, you know, like I did the intro myself by like trying to roll up a joint and have the word weed and try to, you know, oh, try to do fancy creative, shit, you know? creative. And it just, it was it, so bad. It wasn't I, good. It was as bad as the joint that I rolled actually. <laughs> so loose and bad. But it was a good time to learn, you know, like we were doing that and we were learning how to do websites, like make websites. So that was the very beginning. You know, I think we were using what? Netscape? Is that, was Ooh, that, was that AOL thing? Netscape. Yeah. AOL. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it was the just at the beginning, days. the beginning of that. Yeah. You, you went to the computer lab to do dial up on the modem. And, it's like, yeah. and then five minutes later. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. <laughs> if you download a picture, it's like <laughs> yeah. pixel by pixel. A video I couldn't for imagine. It. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. Because that was VHS days. If they went to digital, it would take forever. Forever. So, oh, yeah. Man. So that was so it was a good time. Like I said, it took a couple of extra years, but it did lead me here. So is that the transition? How many years after college did you end up in Taiwan? So what had happened was my uncle, my uncle got to Taiwan and 82. And so he came right after college. He had been in my life, you know, just randomly as I got older, as I was growing up, but he would always come back from Taiwan and bring me, you know, like little Kung Fu suits or little paper cuttings, you know, stuff mm. like that, tourist stuff. So Taiwan was very much in our lives. And he started dating a Taiwanese woman who eventually ended up being his wife. So she would come and stay even when he wasn't there, you know, like she got kind of part of the family. But anyway, my grandparents decided to take me to Taiwan when I was 12. So Ooh. I came, I came here, did two weeks in Taiwan, you know, so I got some really cool pictures of me being 12 years old with skater haircut, skating at Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, you know, stuff like That's that. That's crazy. Do you know what year that was? If I was 12, it'd be 86. That's like still martial law time too. Yeah. I mean, it was right, right, at, like the, right at the end. Right at the end of that. And so when I was here, I, you know, I had no idea about martial law and whatever. And it was kind of the end of martial law where they weren't really enforcing anything anyway. But that was the thing. My uncle was here since 82. You know, the law started loosening. They could have pubs. They could have bars. And he was a singer. He had long hair and he could sing Hotel California. You know what I mean? And so nice. 
they loved him and they, oh. they, you know, so he was getting gigs all the place, but then the cops would come and he'd have to run and hide in the back, you know, stuff like yes, that. Yes, like, exactly. He, he definitely spent at least one night in jail for doing it. So he was a musician for 20 some years here, you know, and his band MIT, which you hit upon yeah. very nicely there. Mm. They really, you know, there were probably 10 iterations of it, but in the beginning when they were doing original songs and things like that, man, they were killing it. And so they were the first, not the first foreign band. Cause now I know that there was a band called the Vespas. Okay. It was kind of the first foreign band, but they were pretty close after that. Were they Italian, the Vespas? <laughs> they weren't. Oh, they were not. They were How not, dare no. they? But it's a pretty good name. I had a Vespa once. It was the worst six months of my life, but it broke down so much, man. Oh, really? You don't want an old Vespa and not live close to a Vespa shop. I see. Because <laughs> that's just... They look nice, but... They look last. so cool, but it does not, it's not worth it, man. It's not. It's not <laughs> worth it. And I see like the nice ones that have like all the mirrors and all that stuff. I'm mm. like, oh. I kind of want one again, but then no, no, don't stop. Do it, Marcus. Don't stop. do it, Marcus. Don't, don't do it. Don't go back there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he talked to me and he would send me emails, random things. And after college, he just said, look, I'll buy you a scooter. I'll buy you a motorcycle. You can I'll stay. Buy you, a Vespa. You, you can stay here. He didn't. He didn't say Vespa. <laughs> okay. I probably would have came earlier. Right. And so I went. I graduated, and then for a year, I didn't have any work. Like get a real job, if you would. And then finally, I thought I was gonna have this amazing job, and I didn't get the job, and I was oh. just like, kind of like heartbroken, you know. What kind of job was this? It was going to be designing a museum with old video games. So kids could come in and play like an Atari or in television or something like that, you know, so right. there's, they're so used to the amazing graphics now, but go back in history and kind of like they could experience, to touch it you know, and like Pong. Remember Pong is just that right, 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 right. See, like this is where it came from. So I went for an interview and they didn't even, they had 10 people at this interview. It was a group interview and they didn't even tell me, but I thought I got the job because the woman came up to me afterwards like oh it's great we'll give you a call if you have the job and i was like oh it's like i really like you cool 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 left a message on my answering machine <laughs> you know and was like call me back and i was like yeah 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 she's like you didn't get the job i was like <laughs> yeah so that was heartbreaking, but it got me here. Then I was like, you know, why not go to Taiwan? Spend a year. My uncle's like, we can get you a job. We can get you this. Just, just come and try it out. And I was like, okay. Why not? Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's see what happens. And you know, the very first day, no, second day, he gave me a motorcycle, you know, he like did. A, he, he bought one from my aunt's brothers, creative types, and they have, you know, used motorcycle, big one like that, you know, and I never oh, like a real motorcycle, like a not, motor, a scooter. not a scooter. Oh. And I never knew how to drive a motorcycle. <laughs> Anyway, too. And then learning in Taiwan. And then learning in back Taiwan. Back in those days. And right in the middle of downtown was like, boom, go. At that time, were there helmet laws? The helmet law just ended. So right when I got, I got here in 98. So I think probably like 97. So, but still people were kind of protesting it. Right. And you didn't always have to wear a helmet. And right. so I definitely, when I first started riding a scooter, I got some tickets for not wearing a helmet. Okay. Because it was there, but I just, you know, it's like sunny day, whatever, you know, like now you would never see that. But like yeah. in the South, sometimes you see people without a helmet. So it was more like that at that time. So the first day and they lived in Yamingshan. And so there's a place where it goes kind of towards the American club there. Okay. Yeah. And the car goes this way, but I didn't know the scooter way had to go a different oh, way. I know that area. So yeah. I got lost for maybe four or five hours on my first way to get home. And they're just like, you got to make it home. We don't know where, you know, I we didn't don't know even where, know where I, you go. I, I, I don't know that I called them from a payphone that I didn't, right. that I didn't know where I was at. And I'm just like, they're like, you can figure it out, man. Just look, look for the grand hotel. You know, you can see that's yeah, the landmark. If you can right. get to the grand hotel, that's where you missed the turn 
off. Right. So they're like, they kind of knew what I was doing, but you know, I'm like, I see a MRT. It was, I think I was somewhere on the Brown line, you know, it was like, okay. okay so, so you went to like Nehu yeah, all the just, way down that just, way. You know, and I'm like, I don't know where the hell I am, you know, because every You're out in when, you, when you first get there, every street looks the same, basically. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. it's all in Chinese that you can't read. And you're just like, that looks like this street. That looks like this street. So I was lost, but I found it, got back and was like, you know, it's like, hey, I learned how to drive a motorcycle, too. You got a four hour practice session, right? That's crazy. Yeah. On the second day, you were already riding the motorcycle. Yes, sir. And I've been <laughs> riding one every day since. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that's I mean, quick. I mean, one of the <laughs> one of the greatest reasons that Taiwan is so amazing is scooters. Put a headphone in, one headphone piece so you can hear, still hear it, but hear <laughs> some music. And man, I tell you, just riding in the countryside, riding up the mountain, seeing these, you know, like the ocean dipping in there by Hualien over there. Mm. I've ridden around the island a few times, you know, and it's always mind blowing. Have you done a full loop like in one trip? I have. Ooh. Uh, that was a terrible, well, I think I got three fourths of the way and then it poured down rain. So we, oh, just, we sent the, you could send the, the scooters back on a train and it would be back like the next day. So then we got a bus back or something like that. So I think I went Taipei to Kending for sure. That was the first leg of it. So that was three or four days getting Along down there. Along the West Coast, like Taizong. And yeah, down through Taizong. And then over to Taidong. But that part from Kending to Taidong poured down rain the whole entire day. Got a like, little nasty. Yeah, like kind of like this weekend in the South, which, yeah. we'll, which we'll get to. Right. But Ooh. by the time we got there, you know, you're just after you've ridden in the, on a motorcycle for three, three or four hours, five hours, you're just like, get me off this thing. And then we're like, let's go to the train station. We can send it and then just take the bus back. It was during Chinese New Year too, so it was like the bus was like stuck. So it took like ten hours, you know, oh, to man. get back. So it was a mission aborted. Everything was perfect in Kanding, and we were like, "Oh, we want to go. Let's keep we, going. We want more. We want more." And so that's the that's chasing the party is what you're calling it. Like, mm. I know there's another party over here. We're gonna go to that one instead of staying in beautiful Kanding. Speaking of that, how was the party scene back in those days? Amazing. Mm. Okay, that's the thing about Taiwan is that anything is possible. If you can think it, it can happen. Okay, and you don't have to worry that much about regulations. Okay, <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, like I went to Jade Mountain recently, you can fall off that shit. <laughs> okay, you can think it, you can do it. And, and, there's no railing, you know, there's some ropes to hang on to and some chains and stuff like that. But I can't imagine that more people are not falling off these mountains because it's just, it's like this big, you know, it's like as wide as you are and rocky and whatever. And so to me, that's a Taiwan spirit of like, hey, if you want to climb it, we'll build it. If you want to climb it and do this, if you want to have a party in a beach, if you want to have a party here, you can do it if you can come up with it and do it. And so the party scene, things were really starting to change. Right when I got here, at least in my opinion, is the change from rock and roll entertainment to DJ based entertainment. Like live bands were a big, big thing. Like Kiss La Boca, all these places, these old places where cover bands used to play. And that was the entertainment, you know, and maybe they'd play 30 minutes and have a 10 minute break. Maybe someone would play a couple songs in between, but the DJ was not the focus. When I finally got to Taiwan, that's when it started changing. And now live bands are few and far between, I would say. And now the DJ, the, clubs the, and DJ the, the clubs, DJs, you know, following people around like that. So it was great, man. It was right when electronic music hit. It was right when clubs were popping up all the time just these underground gangster clubs that you know like you pay money to get in and they give you special treats when you walk in the door you know stuff like wow. that like weird 
weird kind of trancey things like that, you know, and it was kind right. of like a, fr- a free for all. So it was pretty amazing. There was one place named E Heaven. E- okay. Oh, okay. okay. So you can imagine that, what this place is <laughs> focused on. What kind of free treats they were giving yeah, at the door. Yeah. And there was a, there was another place called Purple that was very, very, uh, <laughs> it was, you could, How can you, you, explain you, this? you could, you could score whatever you wanted there. It basically. had purple rain. Yeah. It was raining. And it was kind of only open from like 6 a.m. to noon or something like that on Saturday and Sunday morning. Debauchery. You know? That's <laughs> you know? amazing. So, another place called Rock Candy. Okay. See, oh, it, wow. All, all these Were these places. down in the South or in no, Taipei? This is in Ta- Rock Candy. I passed coming on the way here, man, where it used to be. No. <laughs> yeah, it's an Italian restaurant now. I'm like, man, <laughs> if you guys knew... What used to happen in that bathroom? Italian restaurant. Maybe the chefs are still. uh... (laughs) It's possible. It's possible. But it was just such a like, not like, I mean, I don't know how your club can only be open from 6 a.m. to noon. And the police station is like a block away and it's fine. You know what I mean? Like I I find that troubling. Or, I mean, I think it's amazing, but I think it's it's funny. That's super interesting because that's kind of a parallel with your family, right? I mean, your uncle was kind of that live band rock yeah, music yeah, as well. Yeah. And then you came as that kind of transition in the family. Yeah. That's the funny thing is that his friends didn't really love me when I got here because mm. I liked hip hop and they liked the new radicals. You know mm. what I mean? That was the, that was the song I remember hating forever, but, <laughs> but that song was like kind of start of it. And so they were kind of like skeptical about me, you know, mm. just kind of like, who's this guy? What's he about? Why who's does he want to why does he want to listen to Dr. Dre all the time? You know what I mean? Right. Like, and so they wanted free bird. They wanted, you know, all those old stuff. That was their thing. It was fine. It was great to have some friends, mm. but I had to kind of forge my own friendship with people and kind of build the scene around that. The mm. things that I liked. That's how the triple stage of darkness happened. Okay. Okay. So we can segue into that a little bit. Yeah. I went to spring scream, which was a rite of passage. I don't know if you've heard about it. Cause it used to be maybe 20 years of festival. That was like the festival. Like if you were, a teenager you aspired to go to spring scream and play at spring yeah scream. one of our previous guests very recently anya whitehead a friend yeah, of a yeah. mutual friend of ours was talking about it and actually mentioned you during uh, yeah. her little chat about spring yeah. scream the burlesque so spring scream was great in a sense that it got people together it did it but kunding is such a wild animal it changes people's tastes change all this stuff so i worked for spring scream for a few years i was the dj stage manager you know i i really helped them out try to do some things and then i got a better offer. And these guys down in Kaohsiung, Graham and Ryan were putting on a party at the Chateau down there and it was a DJ party. And they were like, Hey, do you want to play? Do you want to be an investor? Do you want to be part of this? And I was like, yes, sir. And so we did that for a few years and then it changed too. And now things are different. You know what I mean? So it's just like spring scream was awesome for what it was, but it didn't change with the times and you have to change with the times. Mm. And so they did a lot of cool stuff like cashless festival, you know, still 10 years ago, 15 years ago, which is pretty amazing to, I'm thinking of doing cashless now and I'm, it looks like such a headache, you know what mm. I mean? So they were ahead of their time in many aspects and, you know, they kind of fell behind it too. They're hardworking guys, but it just didn't, you know, and so our festival, the on the beach thing kind of took off over that and then Spring Scream kind of faded away, I think. When did you start DJing? So the triple stage of darkness. So let me, mm. let me back up a little yeah. bit. So I went down to Spring Scream as I just uh, wanted to go camping okay camper and i went down there and i saw these two guys one guy was djing and one guy was rapping on the stage and i was like yes 
DJ DJ, who was your other guests. Tenzin. Yeah, Ten, yeah. Tenzin's husband at the time. Right. He was there and an MC called MC Headspinner. Okay. okay. And so they're British guys, but I liked hip hop. And this was a taste of hip hop. They were doing live hip hop. And so I was like, guys, this is dope, man. You know, like whatever. And they're like, okay, come to this party. Come to this party. So I went to the party. They're like, do you want to rap? And I was like, mm, yeah, let me, let me try it. You know, so I started writing some rhymes and doing it, doing it, doing it. And I was like, oh, no way. I was like, oh, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. And we did it. And, you know, then I was part of the group. So that's when it became Triple Stage of Darkness. So right? you became a rapper before a DJ. I became, I was a rapper. MC, are you ready? Yes. You want to hear some bad names? Let's hear. Okay. <laughs> yes, we let's got, hear them. Got, MC Fryer Liquid. Okay. Fryer Liquid. Fryer Liquid. I was the. That's pretty I, terrible. I was the Fryer of Fraudage coming to your cottage. Okay. <laughs> so. Wow. It, it was, it was bad. That's oily. It was, it was green. It was Friar, definitely, it was definitely was greasy. greasy, but because there wasn't very much hip hop again here, we started doing some shows. We started doing some events. We started doing some parties. We got sponsored by Budweiser, which my uncle was sponsored by Budweiser 20 years before that. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. And so then head spinner never showed up for practice. Never, you know, just kind of was always late, whatever. Spin his head somewhere else. Yeah. And so he was a great MC and a good, he was good at doing graffiti, but just as far mm. as being a reliable person in the band, he got the boot, he kicked him out. And then we were only triple stage. So we kicked out the darkness. Oh, <laughs> okay. So that, that worked out well too. That worked, that was okay. That's funny. And then DJ, DJ and I, Michelle's ex-husband mm. or Tenzin's ex-husband, everyone, right. everyone changing their names. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, we also had a falling out. And okay. so we tried to create CD-ROM monthly hip hop magazine. He was really good at computers. And so he made a thing that you could, you could scratch and you could do all the stuff with your CD-ROM, but it would just come up, you know, like, so I started writing. So I started doing record reviews and all the stuff that I liked. And we did a release of the CD-ROM and we had to print 1000 CD-ROMs. Right. Right. And we sold like a hundred the first party and we're like, yeah, okay. That pays for all of them. Right. right? And then he's like, okay, we got to do another. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Another, the next month we have another party. We sell 10. Okay. And then he's like, come on, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. I'm like, but we have, we 19, have 90, yeah. 1990, <laughs> you know, like we got a lot left over right, right. from here. And he still went on and printed a third issue without my blessing. I see. And then that was the split. And okay. so I got to keep the turntables. Oh, nice. Okay. And I was always, a, I've always been a record collector and a thrift store person. So I was always buying records and stuff like that. And then that was when I decided to go out and try to do it on my own. Wow. And he kept the CDs. <laughs> I don't know what happened to those CDs. I would, I, I mean, I have a couple copies of them, but it was just, it was our money was pulled together right. to do it. And he did it without my blessing. And I see. that kind of ended that. And so we had a great time. It was fun mm. to do being in a studio with people, but I can't believe that bands stay together because people are right. so... You know, if you have it's hard. four people, five people, six people, seven people, there's always someone who's late. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's always right. someone who's who's having a bad mood or his girlfriend's crazy, whatever, you know, stuff like that. So having one DJ with one bag and one box of stuff is way easier, man. Oh, it's way, sure. way, way, way easier. Oh, man. So what was this uh, turntable? I can't remember the name, the name of the magazine offhand. Damn, oh. I should know that. But we did record a couple of songs and we put them out on there and stuff like that. And I just never liked my rapping voice. Mm. So I felt like, you know, I can do the, put your hands up, do everybody say, oh, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. But as far as rapping, freestyling, it's not my thing. Mm. And so I, when I hear people who freestyle poorly, 
I'm upset. So anytime my friends are having a rap battle over there, we're like, come over here. I'm like, get out of here. I already heard Black Thought on Funkmaster Flex do 10 minute freestyle that will blow your head. I don't want you to over here going, bro. So yo, ho, low. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't give a shit about that. I want right. to I want to hear some dope shit. So anyway, freestyle, baby. Oh, man. So that's the inception of the DJ phase. So that's the DJ, the DJ phase for sure. The beginning of the DJ phase. And also that started with party promotion. Okay. Mm. Which is another very big thing in my life. I couldn't get, I did get a couple gigs at Luxie and like these other clubs like that, but I didn't want to play there. I didn't like bottle service clubs. I didn't like, that's not what I, you know, like I like these little grimy spots where everyone's going crazy to the DJ and these were big, shiny, flashy things, right? Mm. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to put turntables in weird places. So there was a roller skating rink in Ximending and we went there and we had a roller skating party and they took the door and we sold beer and we could let people ride around with beer drinking beer and doing whatever and it was so crazy and amazing and hilarious and people falling down and spilling beer the next person's fall pile ups it was so great and we did two two parties there and the final party boss comes out at the end and says hey everybody this is our last day of being open you can keep the skates what and i was like that's really sad that this is the last day but that's awesome (laughs) okay but they were like indoor skates you know what oh, I mean? So yeah. the wheels would, as soon as you Just went out, apart. as soon as you go out to the concrete, they died. But there is a new roller rink and I'm going to go talk to them about it. But they're more focused on kids, I think. But um, right. I've done roller skating parties, ice skating parties, mountain parties, pool parties, beach parties. That was the thing is just I see. try to find something new, something somewhere different. You know, like get this cool place. Taiwan has beautiful things of nature, rooftops, all this stuff. Why do you need to be confined into a club? Why not be outside? Yeah. Last time we were talking about your beach parties. Mm. So the first beach party I ever did was called Booty in the Beach. It was at Bai Shaowan at the very far end, which is still, I still think untapped, you know, like it's not. The booty or the, oh, the beach, the beach. <laughs> Always tapping the booty. But, uh, you know, there was a woman, a woman there with a refrigerator. So she had electricity. I had a car. I had turntables. DJ Hooker let me borrow his speakers. We went there and we played a 24 hour party and we thought a hundred people would come and 800 people showed up. Oh, wow. And it was crazy. It was amazing. There was even, I've told this story a couple of times, but there was a Taiwanese woman who was a little bit bigger and a smaller foreign guy. And they just started doing what people do on the dance floor in the middle of it. You know, he was tapping. He was tapping it Tap and dancing and she was loving it, man. And it was funny just on the beach, on the beach in the middle of the dance floor. Oh, wow. That's uh <laughs> Yeah. That's like Thailand. It was that's like a full moon party. It was it was it was, it was what Taiwan, you know, like that was when full moon parties were really kind of starting to pump up. And yeah. that was kind of that was kind of the idea. It's of a like, kind of the vibe, like, yeah. like Thailand, really. Yeah. And so I'm still desperately in the search for a place in northern Taiwan with a dope beach that's easily accessible because I, I play down in Xijing all the time. I just played down there this weekend, and that is like my dream come true of a venue right on the beach, right there. You can play whatever music you like. People will come out because it's beautiful, you know. Know, stuff like that. So I search around all this northern coast, all this stuff, and I haven't haven't found a place. So if anyone's listening and you have a venue on the beach, please reach out to me. I got money to invest. I want I want to. I'm desperately oh. looking for a venue right now. Have you heard of the? Uh, there's a secret nude beach around here. <laughs> do you know about no, it? I do not know. Please tell me okay. more about <laughs> it. Tell me more. We, about might, it. we might have to. We might have to uh, talk about this off the air. Uh, Although I that way, because then you might be able to throw some nice parties there. Yeah, that that sounds interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> 
Is it we'll in northern? It's in, it's in northern. It's close to here. Okay. Is it by? Yeah. Is it the one by uh, by Danshui? It's to the east of Danshui, okay. I believe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I knew there was some weird things. Not, not weird. And I things, was but, surprised. I heard about yeah. it this weekend. A buddy of mine says that he loves to go there, and he's like the king of nude beaches, apparently. And so the whole beach is nude. Yeah, but apparently on the weekends it's hard to find it because there's too many people there. But it's like a secret location. You have to. You have to like actually walk through things jump and through jump and over. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I want to know. Tell me off. Air. Exactly. I want to. I want to hear about this because I haven't experienced it yet. So what about this weekend? Uh, what was this last weekend like? Where were you okay at? so if if you've ever felt like 48 hours of hard rain pouring down on your soul you will feel i still feel pickled okay oh really just, on thursday my buddy down there graham said hey it's rained for a month straight okay and we've got a beach party uh, my havana party at his at Sijing beach bar i was like well do you want to cancel what do you think he's like no never cancel man let's do it oh i said okay now, I drove, which was a stupid thing in hindsight, but I needed to be there before midnight on Friday night to drop off the beer because the people were still at the bar. At about 11.20, I'm driving on the highway and it's pouring down rain so bad and two cars like crisscross in front of me and I can't see anything and I'm just... I mean, my heart was pounding out of my chest. Like, I I had to pull over to the rest stop and just stop. I just needed to just stop because I was scared. It was raining so heavily. Okay. And then I stopped and I called them and I said, hey guys, I'm not going to be able to get the beer by midnight. I don't want to push it, you know, and that was the right choice. And about a half hour later, it started drizzling so I could see again. You know what I mean? Mm. But it was, it was pretty scary. And then, so the party happened, you know, the thing is I've had this summer, I've had 14 Havana events. Not one has been rained out and this one wasn't rained out, but not that many people showed up because right. it was raining like incessantly, you know, right. it's <laughs> exactly. pouring down rain. But you know, the 50, 40 people that were there, man, we had a goddamn party, man. We had fun. That's the thing that people, I really wish people would understand is that when you come to a pool party, you're going to get wet. Yeah, of course. So if it's raining. Yeah. What's yeah, the, exactly. It really doesn't matter. It's just you know? like icing on the it, cake. Yeah. And so, you know, everyone was huddled up by the DJ dancing, having a good time, jamming around. And then what happened afterwards was that I played at Brickyard for the after party. And to be honest, that place got fucked up. Okay. Because I, I took my salty, wet anger <laughs> out on this dance floor and just destroyed this place. Okay. I took them on a ride, on a journey. <laughs> that, I mean, afterwards I went in the back and the owner was like, man, I haven't seen this place go crazy like that in a long, long time. Whoa. So you just did it. That's just the thing. That's, that, 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 on... that's the thing is that even if something is bad, like rain all day, yeah. you figure it out. You exactly. keep going. You keep going. You find your way back on a motorcycle. You keep going. You keep going. Don't, don't let it stop you. And then boom, <laughs> it works out. And every, and you're just like, wow, I did it. Drop did some it, bricks you know? on them. And then drove back five hours yesterday and was just like, ah, oh, and get to like Taichung. And it's beautiful, sunny in Taipei. And they tell me it never rains in Kaohsiung. <laughs> so that's the funny part about the whole story. So I learned my lesson. Don't drive to Kaohsiung in one day or in a weekend because <laughs> it's too far. Right. Amidst and then, a typhoon. Yeah. And 
in the rain, you know, it's a lot, a lot. Oh man. So what are these Havana beach parties? This sounds amazing. Okay. So it's not just beach parties. So I started hmm. Havana pool parties a while back. So it's, I think we're in the 16th year, but I did take a couple years off. Uh, but what we did was we found a pool in Danshui that would let us have a pool party. And so our thing was, Hey, we can bring a couple hundred people, but we want to sell the drinks. Hmm. That's where it was the money. That's where the mm-hmm. money's made. You take the door, we'll take the drinks. Yeah. And they were like, okay, cool. Did one. Great. Two or 300 people. Great. Did one two weeks later. Eh, like half the amount of people. Did one another one. Not that many people. Mm. So people were excited to go to the first one. But then once they went out there, it was too far. Mm. Okay. You had to take like a bus from the Danshui, whatever, you know, stuff like that. So we found a pool over by Taipei 101 called the Country Club. Whoa. Now this place is almost mythical in its status of it's probably only 15 minutes from 101 right up by Elephant Mountain. Okay. But it's tropical, like just palm trees and just everything around there. Up in the mountains. Up in the mountains. No complaints from neighbors. No nothing. It was this perfect spot. Oh. Except, (laughs) here's the biggest up. It was a country club and someone died inside in the pool, like an older person died in the pool and sued their family sued them. And so the club went under. Oh, okay? wow. So we had probably three or four years at the country club. That was amazing. And then we had one summer where the guy running the country club pool told us we could do the parties. So we went back there and they hadn't cleaned the pool area in say two or three years, you know? So like a week before we went there and it's still, they promised they were going to clean it still wasn't clean. And we're just like, dude, Come on, you got to clean it. You got to take the water down. You got to do that, you know, right. do this stuff. So we cleaned the whole entire place, just scrubbed it, scrubbed it, scrubbed it, and then had the first party. And it was amazing. 900 people came to this party. Insane. Wow. And then they said, you can't do it here anymore. Why? Like, Did they give you a reason? They said, they said, we said, we signed a contract with this guy for nine parties. Yeah. Said that guy was fired. Oh, and they just tore up <sighs> they the contract. They tore, tore up the contract because he doesn't work here anymore. Okay. So we were like heartbroken and we had moved all, it was kind of up. You had to walk up a bunch of stairs and like moving alcohol and stuff like that. You know, we had a summer's worth of alcohol. So lots of stuff. So we had to have plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, you know, stuff like that. And we started doing some in Shindian and then we found Gongguan was kind of like the peak of Havana pool parties. So there was a water park in Gongguan. Oh, again, amazing, amazing space for it. Great times. We had 1500 people at one at one of the grand finales right no way so it was amazing but the guy just we didn't see eye to eye he definitely didn't love foreigners but he loved that 1500 people were coming in of course he uh, loved the money through through the thing Hmm. so they kept trying to change the deal every year trying to make it up do this stuff and then we had a little argument kind of towards the end and you know Mm -hmm. uh it was gonna be we were gonna deal with it on tuesday and i was like you got to get out of the way (laughs) I got to go to another show. You got to get out of the way. And he didn't want to, he didn't, we wanted to deal with it there. And so our relationship ended at that time. And then he called on Tuesday and I blocked his number. (laughs) (laughs) So, so that stopped the parties there for me personally. Some other people tried to do some that were the exact same and didn't, they didn't do very well, but two or three year break. Someone told me they know that guy and maybe there's a way that we can reconcile. So this is a guy who owns the park? He was the manager okay, okay. of the park, basically. Oh. I called him the head lifeguard. <laughs> okay. But that was kind of derogatory. Right. <laughs> but uh, And then I started talking to Redpoint, which is the beer company. So mm. someone said he might be open to let us doing the pool party there. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. I consider it. I'm not mad. You know, there was money issues involved. And I said, if we just leave it as, hey, 
this happened. We're cool with it. Let we bygones know, we know. be bygones. Yeah, let, let it go. Cool. Let's do it. And then they sold the venue and now it's going to be apartment buildings. So I see. That's the funny thing is I've been, so I rebranded Havana, not just as a pool party, but as beach party, all this stuff. So I could go to Taipei. I could go to Waiau. I could go there. I could go here and just talk to all the people that I know in all the different cities and partner up with them mm. and do a party in their city and bring beer, music, people, stuff like that. So it's been worked out. It's been wildly successful so far the last two years. I've done it and it is a lot of work and a lot of fun. Mm. And that's the thing is that, you know, that's the work hard, play hard stuff is that I bust my ass to make people have fun, but I love watching people have fun. Mm. Okay. Mm. And like I did a, a conference before and I said, there's been 14 kids created through my events in my life. Okay. So I'm pretty, pretty proud of that. You know, like <laughs> nice. a couple one night stands that turned out wrong, but that's, that's not the point. You know, there, there are people, a lot of people that I know met at my parties and got married and stuff like that. You 14 know I mean? kids. So, yeah. So they're all yours. They're not all mine. Thank <laughs> goodness. Think how much pollution those kids cause. Jesus. It's good not to have children. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's been a, it's a crazy ride and this weekend. So it was a little bit rained out last week, but this weekend is the final party. Mm. This Saturday is in Taichung on the rooftop and we've been getting 500 people there and it's been absolutely fantastic. I saw a video. Yeah. Those are nice videos yeah, yeah, as well yeah, yeah. Uh, on yeah. your IG. Yeah. What is this rooftop? This looks the crazy. In Sky Hotel. The thing that's great about it is there's a hotel right behind Sejing Beach called Yes Hotel or something like that. That guy owns the In Sky Hotel in Taichung as well, or is part of the group that owns that. So they're friendly with the Sejing people. So the guy down there in Sejing, we kind of collab. They bring the bar, I bring the music, and we meet in Taichung. And it's almost like two hours and seven minutes on Google Maps. And from Sejing to there is two hours and 14 minutes. So it's almost exactly mm. in the middle. We've done, this is, this will be our fifth one. And I thought Taichung was pretty dead before. And man, they have been turned out to be wrong. Out. Holy moly, man. We do this dance contest and it just gets ridiculous. I know. Okay. The girls the, were twerking. The, the things that I've seen that you can't be shown on the internet. Right. <laughs> the pictures that I have. Oh my goodness. No, but I mean, oh, I, mean geez. I mean, it's, it's great. It's a great time. They love us. We're going to have a blast this Saturday. So I'm looking forward to it, you know, and it's not going to rain. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, so what are some of those other crazy scenes that you've seen other than this one at Baishawan beach with this small, uh, yeah, small yeah, guy and um, big woman? I mean, <laughs> Probably, I don't know if I've seen it all because there's mm. things that do sometimes surprise me. But, you know, I've just, you know, like. What's one that's taken DJ Marcus Aurelius by surprise, by shock? Was there something that's like, no, they cannot be. <laughs> I mean, nudity is prohibited in Taiwan. Mm. So for any of our events, sometimes people will say, we want to get naked. And I have to say, you cannot do this. Mm. Okay. Because you cannot have a video. You cannot have a, a thing of that. As much as I love nudity myself, personally, mm -hmm. the nude beach, especially you cannot have nudity. It's, it's a fine. And so you get in trouble. So I would say that it's amazing how people can find ways almost to be naked, but not be naked. I see. You know, like by making their bikini really small over their, over their nipples or the thong, the smallest thong they could have, you know, stuff like that and be comfortable and dancing and having a good time and things like that so i mean it is. oh okay so what about this famous dj contest that we ah, alluded yeah. to the red bull one so red bull has been a great 
friend of me for many years. And they asked me, they said, Scratch Bastard came, who's one of the best DJs in the world. Mm -hmm. And he was friends with some people I knew from Canada. So they're like, hey, meet him. Take care of him. So we brought him. We went to see his show. He did like a showcase, three style showcase and wanted to show what it was. So you have 15 minutes and you have three different styles of music you have to play in 15 minutes. And the five minute sets, five, basically. Well, oh, however you want to okay, do it. Okay. But the job is not technical, whatever. It's rock the party. Okay. Okay. So the other contest, the DMC contest, were all about turn around, turn around, upside down, crazy More technical, yeah. This was, there's 20% is technical, but it's not the most. Okay. It's rock the party the hardest. So they started doing it. They did 10 of these over the time. And they asked me if, shout out to Nick and Millie from Red Bull, because they were a big part of it. They said, do you want to be a judge? Okay. Nice. And I thought for a while, I said, let me think about it. And I said, do you think that if I'm allowed to be in the contest, that it's okay for a foreigner to be in the contest? Mm. And they're like, we well, need to check the rules. Because if I would have won the Taiwan, they send you to the world finals. So I would be representing, representing Taiwan, Taiwan, right? I see. So they said, yeah, it's fine. No problem. And I said, you know what? I want to be in the battle. Ooh. Okay. And everyone else were Taiwanese DJs. There was one other guy that was a foreigner out of the four or five years that I did it. There was one other guy that was a foreigner that was from Taichung. So he was uh, from Peru, I think. Okay. So any DJ, you could do it. And so they had different rules every year and stuff like that. But I'm very happy that I wasn't the judge that first year. That was a very respectful thing. Like, yo, you're an OG. You could be the judge, you know, stuff like that. And I was like, that's nice, but I want to win. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to win. And that was my thought process of Michael Jordan. You don't get any of the shots you don't take, you know what I mean? Stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And I made the finals two times. Like you said, I definitely should have come in second place. One of the times I didn't win any of them, mm -hmm. which I agree with it, but you know, local judging, the big difference was they had local judges in the beginning and then they had the other three style champions come and be the judge later. Ooh. Okay. So I did win the Taipei version of the battle. So you had like six DJs in different cities. So you had 18 DJs battling and then the top five would go to the finals. Oh, it's so like I, a tournament. Yeah. So I won, I won the Taipei version of that one year Ooh, and then nice. went to the finals and I came in, I think that was the year I came in almost second. <laughs> Okay, oh. almost like it. <laughs> but uh, the second place guy went to the judge's house the night before and played his set for the judge. So I, 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 that's oh, a little, 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 little okay. but whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> but it taught me a great deal of lessons. And the one is you're not battling these other people. You're battling yourself. Mm. Okay. Because you're the one who has to come up with something new. How do you create something new out of nothing? You can watch all these DJs do all these tricks, but you can't do that trick if you did that. And that's the problem that Taiwanese people kind of had was they would go, oh, look, I can do the exact same thing someone did. And they're like, mm, right. Okay. Right. Because yeah, that's cool. That's not creative. But it's not, you didn't do it. Yeah. So you have to come up with it. So I'm sitting in my room for hours and hours and hours and trying to come up with creative stuff, learn how to be more technical, do this scratching, juggling, doing all this stuff. And man, sometimes it comes and sometimes it does not. And yeah, if you've right. got the battle next month and you've got five minutes, but you don't have 15 minutes and the battle's two weeks, mm. guess what you're doing for the next two weeks is sitting in that damn room and coming up with something. So it was a great process. I loved it. I think my skill skyrocketed during that time. You know, one of the judges, one of the champions, he said, this was one of the best three style sets I've ever seen. Mm. Okay. So that to me, even though I didn't win, he gave me those props. And so that was cool. And I got to be part of this community. 
Mm. So the Red Bull freestyle world community is very tight. Okay. And Taiwan had the Red Bull freestyle world finals here in Taiwan. So what year? 2019. Okay. So the ninth version of it and Red Bull does not do anything chill. Right. That's okay? not Red Bull. They do need wings to fly. Awesome stuff. <laughs> and so they had three or four days. So all the champions of all the world came to Taiwan to do the same battle. They battled each night and then they bat had battled in the finals and they had 10 or 15 of the best celebrity judges like Jazzy Jeff, Scratch Bastard, you know. There. So, wow. and I mean, I got a picture with Jazzy Jeff. Like, it's on my mantle. Like, he's my buddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I went to Toronto and I tried to get near where Jazzy Jeff was. And they were like, get the fuck out of here. You know? <laughs> so that's the difference between Taiwan and other places. But right. I was working at Triangle, a club in Maji at the time. Oh, Maji Square. Yeah. And man, they had one of the finals there on say Wednesday night and they didn't like the club they did. And they called me the next day and they said, we want something dirty. We want it grimy. We want it dingy. We want to not have to have LEDs and do this stuff. We want to have this final party. To be real hip hop. To be real, real, you know, play back to back. You play one track, I play one track, but all the world champions together playing together. It was so insane. They had all the finals. Then they had the festival as the world final end. And then they had the after party at Triangle. At this grimy club. At the grimy club. And then the next day they had the rooftop. Everyone's playing vinyl called Bastards Barbecue, which like if you get to play one of these, now you're in the top level of DJ. Right, show, right, right. Right. And so I got to play there. Oh, you know what I mean? Oh, only in the beginning. And that's great. But uh, just have my name associated with these prestigious brands is more valuable. You know, I have a picture of me DJing with Scratch Bastard, Newmark, Jazzy Jeff, Shortcut, standing over my shoulder. That's okay? crazy. I'm <laughs> shaking. Because <laughs> I'm so scared. Because right, you're not scratching, you're I'm shaking. Not, I'm trying to find a record like, oh my God. Okay. And it was awesome. And so that's what it teaches you. It teaches you keep going, keep doing it, keep doing it. Even if you're scared, even if your hands are shaking, keep doing it, keep doing it. So the Red Bull part of my life has been fantastic. I love it. And the next year was going to be the 10th anniversary and they were going to do it in Moscow and, and, and COVID hit. I know. So yeah. Taiwan is the last one. Taiwan's the last COVID. one. And they decided to cancel it. Oh, really? So it's there's done. no more Red Bull freestyle battles. So the final one was, was in, in Taiwan. Taiwan. And you opened up that set. I, I I didn't know. I opened up the after party. Right, right, right. Thing like that. And connected for the final party, which is probably just as hard to make happen in like two days. Oh, that's crazy, man. So it was great, man. It was a great experience. I talk to a lot of those people all the time. And you get to know, that's the thing, is that all these people like festivals now. A lot of people from all over the world came to Taiwan just to go to see the world finals. Mm. You know what I mean? And then now I'm friends with those guys in Japan. Now I'm friends with those guys in Cambodia. Oh, now I know this guy in Thailand. And they introduced me as, he's the you of Thailand. Mm. Okay? He's that guy. If you need something, you go to Thailand, talk to him. Go to his music studio. Get gigs from him. Mm. And so now I know all those people. Now mm. I hit him up. And I'd say, hey, do you want to come here? Hey, do you want to go there? Da, 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 stuff like that. So great, great time. So for people who don't understand DJing, who is a legendary DJ or an inspirational DJ for you and why? Um, I would say that with the 50 years of hip hop that's just celebrating its anniversary. True. Um, DJ Cool Herc gets respect, the gets, gets mad respect as, yeah, the, the, as the OG number one. Mm -hmm. um, Grandmaster Flash. 
of course, he came up with the fader. You know, he came up with that shit. So the quick mix theory, which is what DJs do now, is from his brain. Think of that. That to me, what what hip hop is, is making something out of nothing. Okay. I've made something of myself out of nothing. That's what it is. Okay. Other DJs, Scratch Bastard is incredibly skilled and the nicest human being that there is. Mm. Jazzy Jeff is a master at music. You can watch his DJ sets online, on TV, on Twitch, and be mesmerized by his music because he has such a wide variety of music. Uh, in Taiwan, the cool Herc of Taiwan is DJ Chicano. Mm. Okay. He's a dope old school DJ. DJ Vicker, he calls himself the king of digging. Hmm. So he has a record store. He's amazing. I work with a couple people, DJ Neckbrace, DJ Crosscuts, my man Famous. These three people, we call ourselves Planet Hip Hop, okay? Hmm. And we're all from different parts of the planet, but we came to rock the party. You know what I mean? So that's what we've been playing in Mongolia, doing stuff like that. So I roll with, I know everybody. I like for Halloween, I'm booking 30 DJs. So I need to know all the people, you know? Oh man. But I do end up using a lot of the same people because I know those people can come to the party and turn it out. I never, ever, ever tell anyone what to play. I say, do your thing. Play what you want. Do your thing. Rock that shit. Right. That's it. Right. And so it works because you got the freedom. Show me what you got. Exactly. You know, so it's good. So speaking of that, how much has DJing changed over oh. the time, right? Because <laughs> I mean, we're talking about analog days back in mm. Ohio, right? And <laughs> technology, of course, you know, there's there's a lot of advancements in technology and otherwise. So how much has DJing changed over the years? DJing has evolved so much recently that going from vinyl records, which I still have a couple thousand at my house. Oh, nice. I don't necessarily recommend having a couple thousand records when you live on a fifth floor walk up because it's heavy <laughs> and you don't want to move because of the records. Right. But um, they've evolved it into, you know, there's a program called Serato. Yes. Okay. Pioneer. Pioneer. Yeah. What it does, that program has changed my life tremendously. I went to China for a year and my buddy said, learn Serato before you come here and then you don't have to carry records everywhere. Mm. So that was 2007. So I practiced with Serato right then and I barely used vinyl. So it just lets you flip through like a catalog of music or what? So on my computer, say I have 50,000 MP3s. Okay. I can play those in one second. Okay. If I want to find a record that's, you know, 20,000 records, I got to go like this. For my computer, all I got to do is type in Grandmaster Flash and the Furious 5, the message, boom, and it comes up. Boom. Now I have two of them. So it's a digital vinyl emulation system. Okay. But then what's even better is that now you have controllers. Okay. So it's getting, I was a hardcore, I still would take a mixer and a turntable with me almost everywhere until about a year ago. Wow. Two years ago, ago. a year and a a half ago. And now I realize how foolish I've been. Okay. Because now I take one thing, no 20 wires to plug in, worry about the needles, worry about this. It's just boom, 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 ready to go. Right. Okay. And especially changing, you know, at three o'clock in the morning after you've been drinking all day, there's a lot of times you don't plug in the right thing in the right thing. (laughs) You can't figure it out and you're going crazy. You're like, what the hell is going on? You know, stuff like that. So it feels pretty good to just have a plug and play controller. And now basically it's taken the DJ setup, just shrunk it up, but the mixer is exactly the same and does some extra things. And it's fantastic. Mm. So it's a little bit heavy. They got a newer one that looks a little bit lighter that I'm kind of 
leaning towards, but hmm. it's still, you know, like it doesn't matter what people play. People do not come to the club to see what you're playing on. If you're playing hmm. on CDJs or you're playing on vinyl, they came to the club to party. And if, as long as you're playing it, as long as you're rocking it, rock it, whatever, whatever you got. I'm wondering, because you also mentioned to me last time about AI and how you're using that in certain things. I'm actually curious about how much do you think AI will affect DJing, right? I mean, I think about this all the time. Yeah. Can, can I be replaced? Mm. Okay. And how would you do that? Because one of the skills that DJs might be technical, but reading a room is a very hard skill. You have to kill the dance floor to understand the skill of how to build it up again. AI is going to have a hard time with that. Okay. Cause they don't know what it is. I mean, if you had like a heat sensor, maybe right. shooting out or something, you'd have to have like, and see like, oh, okay, people like this. So play this music. Cause that's the thing is that you play a reggae song and you see some people over there vibing. You keep playing something kind of towards that way. And then it brings a few more people and then you kind of move in this way and it brings more people and you go, oh, can I hit him with a pop song? Maybe that will bring, you know, and then boom, mm. and the dance floor is back. So it's like, it's a science and an art, but it's, and you only can learn it from doing it. Mm. Okay. So if you've been in your bedroom practicing and practicing and practicing, and you go out and do that thing you're practicing and it doesn't work, what do you do? Mm. <laughs> okay. Mm. You just killed the dance floor. Now what? Okay. Mm. So it's not, it's not easy. The idea of the DJ is I have to know what a random group of strangers like before they even know what they like. Right. Okay. And so I think AI is going to have a hard time with that. But with that said, on my way back in the goddamn rain yesterday, I hit on Discover Weekly on my Spotify. Ooh. And that probably six songs, first six songs in a row, I had never heard. And I loved every single one. Oh. Because it could read and I could feel it, it could reach, read reaching into my own algorithm. All right. And taking what I like, a sample, an Afrobeats beat, something like this. And a disco sample turned into a drill track. And I'm like, wow, I oh. like this. I like this. I like this. I like this. I'm, I'm just like, I was sitting there with my mouth open. Like, how does this know? How does it know me so well mm, that I like every, your, it can curate. And yeah. so I thought about it again yesterday. I was like, yeah. uh oh. It got, it got uh, the new, it's coming it up got on the, us. It got the new level. <laughs> it got the new level. So like when I, you know, when they do the updates of chat GPT, they're yeah, like, oh, exactly. version 4.0 can do this. I was like, whatever's on Spotify. It's gone up another they're, level. They're, they're good. Cause I hadn't touched discover weekly in probably a year or two. And it was, it was scary, but I welcome our AI overlords. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> fix it, fix it for my, my Halloween party on October 28th at Tiger mountain. Mm -hmm. The theme is AI apocalypse. Mm. Okay. And I had ChatGPT write a 100-word article about the day the AIs took over for my party. That's the beginning part of the party. I'm doing all the all the DJs and AI and all the stuff like the imaging. But I wanted ChatGPT to write about how to do it. And then I looked at the different articles they read. You know what I mean? And it shows you how they're going to do it. Because you think, oh, humanity's great. Human you know, like you're built for the kindness of the world to be better. And then they realize, you know what's pretty bad for the world? Humans. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So if my job was to create the best world I could do, the one thing that's really screwing up the world is mm -hmm. all these damn kids. No. <sighs> <laughs> Are humans, you know, and so it just kind of goes like legitimate kids out there. Yeah. And it's just kind of, you're just kind of like, Ooh, that's scary, but you know it, you know, you know it. And so I found it scary, but awesome. Yeah. It's going to happen. So embrace it. Just embrace it. Exactly. Take it. Exactly. Party with it. Yeah. All right. So what about music? 
So I know you are hip hop through and through. So a bit about hip hop, some of about maybe why and what you love. We talked about DJs, but yeah. maybe just hip hop in general. Um, and then other inspirations mm. in music. Sure. Hip hop for me, when I was a kid going to see Breakin', Breakin' 2 at the movie theaters, Beat Street, this type of thing. That's, Beat Street was the first vinyl record I ever bought. Mm. That and Kenny Loggins' Footloose soundtrack. Oh, okay? Interesting. So when I had enough money for my paper route, that's what I bought, right? Mm. And I was a, a break dancer when I was little, you know what I mean? I was grooving and doing all the stuff. And then they had a Burger King sponsored the break dancing contest in our town in Warren, Ohio. No way. And I came in second and was on the front page of the newspaper like this kind of with right, my like posing yeah, with, with my a b-boy, b-boy, pose. b-boy pose and stuff like that. So skateboarding and, and you know, like it was kind of rebellious at the time. Right. I, I listened to kind of like some punk rock. What about like, BCB? Boys. Beasties, of course. So today, I mean, they just made Beastie Boys Square. I was writing an article and listening to them. So they're a big part of my life. I went to probably 10 or 15 concerts of Beastie Boys, stuff like that. Oh, and- damn. In Washington DC and New York City, stuff like that. Like Oh wow. Okay. Really, so. really. So I'm I'm pretty hardcore on that. But for me, it was public enemy. Ooh, okay. okay. You're so, a rebel. So I was listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers and kind of like Dead Kennedys, kind of like punkish stuff like that. Nice. And then there was a skate park and someone put a public enemy tape in the tape deck. Oh man. And I had never heard this wall of noise like yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Terror Dome, you know, like Chuck D's booming voice. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away. Some messages too. And it just taught me so much. Okay. Like, you know, when they talk about it being the CNN of the ghetto, stuff like that, it's a hundred percent true. And even being here, listening to music and not having a father, I took a lot of advice from Outkast. Okay. Ice Cube, Ice Cube was, I felt like Ice Cube was my long lost uncle because I listened to him so much to look, you know, if I needed advice about women, I'd go Ice Cube. No, but (laughs) I listened to Ice Cube and you get this thing and stuff like that. So hip hop has just kind of followed me around my life and kind of helped me through the hard times and kind of pushed me, pushed me in different directions, stuff like that. So I love hip hop through and through. But with that said, my DJ sets are varied. Okay. It's called open format and I can play anything and I feel like I could play anything better than everybody Mm. okay so my skill is being able to look over here and see grandma okay maybe she likes chicken dance okay over here (laughs) you know he likes dubstep okay over here they like afro beats and combine that and bring everyone together and drop surprises on them drop this drop that drop that drop that so hip-hop has taught me through samples got me into funk got me into soul music stuff like that through the sampling house music you know and then i start going oh okay this is kind of have a hip-hop vibe to it through house music so i say hip-hop is my heart but then everything kind of flows through that. And I mm. like, I like just about everything. I mean, there's, there's two kinds of music. I don't like country and Western, you know, that joke, <laughs> uh, but everything else I listen to, cause there's so much good music out and just, you know, Spotify gets 10,000 songs a day. Not all of them suck. They're on your Discover Weekly. Check it out, you know. Mm-hmm. But I listen to, you know, in the mood for house music. I put this on. I put these DJs on. I do this stuff, you know. And so I am constantly on the hunt for that new summer jam. Mm. I am constantly on the hunt for something I can play at 1130. You know what I mean? Something like that. And so I love music, you know, as a 48 year old that might be too old to be DJing. I don't know. Hey, shit. No one you told me. Too old. No one told me. When's, exactly. when's my retirement coming up? You know? <laughs> so I look at guys like Carl Cox, Jazzy Jeff. They're 50, 60 years old and they're still doing it. Guess what? I'm going to still be doing this. I'm going to be listening to the chronic when I'm in my wheelchair. Okay. <laughs> Put the chronic on and right smoking now. smoking a bit okay? of chronic as okay? well. I might in the wheelchair. Smoke some chronic in the wheelchair. <laughs> There's no doubt. So. <laughs> 
I mean, just the music. I get so excited. Like there's a new Little Wayne track called Cat Food. Mm. Okay. Just put out a couple of days ago and I can feel his hunger for emceeing. For the game. Yeah. Okay. Wayne He's has back. been in this mother yep. for so long and he goes in waves to me. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But on this track, he just slices and dices and rips it up. And you could just feel his hunger to show you, yo, that's why they call me one of the greatest MCs in the world. You know what I mean? Not my, not really mine for that, but I can see why they would say that. And I want to play that. It has a Missy Elliott sample. It has all this stuff. And you're just like, ah, oh, I hear that. And I'm like, that can go. That can go. I run it twice. Everyone's like, what's that song? I've never heard that before. I'm like, you're yeah, right. Mm. Came out two days ago. You haven't heard it. Now you hear it first. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. The thing. I mean, I know you love music. So you also wrote, mm. right? Oh, yes. Yeah. You had a gig before mm. and it's turned into something as well. Yeah. So maybe we'll go back to the past. Okay. What was this? What so was this I started gig? I started as a writer, like I said, through doing those CD-ROMs, just writing reviews of the tracks I liked. And that kind of got me into the newspaper. So the Taipei Times had an entertainment section at one point that was even, you know, probably four, six pages long. So there was people writing about bands and I was the guy to write about DJs coming through Taiwan. So every week there were times it was different. Sometimes once every two weeks, sometimes I switch it up with people, whatever. But over 10 years, I wrote a mostly weekly column called The Vinyl Word. Mm. Okay. And so that was a great experience. Mostly I got fired from it once or twice. I got rehired, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And, you know, it's just you need to come up with something for next week, every week. Mm. And it, it, it's kind of scary, you know what I mean? Especially when you're like, what's going on? What are, you know, so you're trying to find, yeah. trying to get an interview with Diplo and Diplo's not doing whatever, you know what I mean? And who gives a shit about the Taipei Times when you're just going through 20 different tour cities and mm -hmm. whatever, you know, stuff like that. So it's an interesting way to do it, but I liked doing it. Then they cut back, the newspaper cut back and unceremoniously fired the live music guy and myself at the same time. And he wrote up a really nice thing saying like how sad it was that there's no live music thing. And we're still friendly with the Taipei Times. And I'm trying, trying to get Post Malone's coming next. Oh, he's next, coming very soon. Next yeah, Wednesday. Right. And I'm trying to link up an interview with him. So okay. I don't know Post, if that will. If I, you're I, out I, there. I, yeah. Posty, get on it. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I got to do a lot of, a lot of different things. So I've interviewed Chuck D okay. Oh, when he damn. came. So that was, that was amazing. And Chuck D's dad was with him and his dad knew people from Warren, Ohio that I knew. Okay. So oh, it's no so the, the world is such a small place. What was Chuck D doing in Taipei? They were playing. What did they play at? Ministry of sound. There was a ministry of sound here for a minute and they, wow. they came and they played. So I got to come early for sound check, watch public enemy. My dream, yeah, Fla Flav couldn't, Flav couldn't make it because his, Flav, he, cause he, he had some passport issues. At oh, the time. His clock was too big. He couldn't get through. Yeah, the, he couldn't. He <laughs> didn't know. He did not know what time it was. Okay, but uh, oh, so man. he didn't make it. But Chuck D did, and I talked to him and Professor Griff, and I brought, I found a Professor Griff album in a Taiwan record store, and I brought it, and he goes, I don't even have a copy of that. Oh. I was like, here, take it, man. He's like, no, nah, you can have it, but I'll sign it, you know, stuff like that. So, oh, that's dope. Yeah. So it was cool to talk to them. They were really, you know, Chuck D is just, he's one of my heroes. You know what mm. I mean? Like he really said all the shit that needed to be said and laid it out on the line. And it took to getting cameras to everyone having a camera to people to believe what he said. But he's been saying that shit for 20 years, 30 yeah. years, 40 years. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. Chuck D is a real, a real one, you know? And so I love Chuck D. That was great. Fat Boy Slim. Another, an, another amazing time. There was going to be a reporter scrum. So they had Fat Boy Slim going to be there. And then all the media was invited to ask him questions. Okay. 
I showed up for it. No one else showed up. No. So I got to have a 20 minute conversation with Fat Boy Slim right before his show. No one else knew who he was. No. They're like- I mean, I mean, he sold out. He sold out a show. 3,000 people, but none of the news people came. And then one person, one other Chinese media came and asked a couple questions, you know, whatever. But I got 20 minutes, a half hour with Fat Boy Slim alone. I wrote four or five questions because I thought it was going to be 20 people, right. but I didn't write 20 questions, you know, but it was so cool, man. It was so cool. Oh, so that's crazy. So being in Taiwan, if I was in Warren, Ohio, guess what? You're not interviewing Chuck D. Yeah. If I was in Warren, Ohio, I'm not interviewing Fat Boy Slim. I'm not going to DJ with Grandmaster Flash. You know what I mean? I'm here. I am. Mm. So it's good to be the big fish in a little pond, you know? So it's a, it's a good thing. And this all has turned into, so that stopped. And then I didn't stop writing, but I stopped writing about hip hop music for a while. And I had a friend who worked for Mixmag Asia. Mm. And they said, we want to do a hip hop version of Mixmag Asia. And we've heard you're the guy to talk to. And I said, you know what? I don't really know that much about Asian hip hop right now. But what I do know is a lot about hip hop. I know how to write and I can learn mm. and I can schmooze. Mm. Okay. So it's coming up on three years that we've done lifted, liftedasia.com. Hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, what I do now is we have 15. So it went from one article per week to now 15 articles a week we put out. Oh, wow. The internet has made everything on crack. Yeah. Okay. So the articles, you know, the articles I read for Taipei Times were a thousand words, whatever. These are 250, 300 words, something like that. And we'll get interviews, but we have a monthly cover star every month. And that's the thing is that you say cover to someone, to an artist, and they're like, what? what? You want me to be on a cover? Mm. Whatever the cover is, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just you say something like that. They want to be on the cover. And so they tweet out their stuff and then you get followers from that. And so we've been building it pretty good. It's, it's been a great experience. And I've taken that. So one of the things that I'm most proud of, I went to Wonderfruit in Thailand last year mm. and we interviewed five artists there. One guy from India, a couple Thai guys, Scratch Bastard and DJ Newmark did some video content with that, did well. And we went to Rolling Loud, which is the biggest hip hop festival in the world in Thailand. And we Ooh. got 11 interviews, 11 interviews with different Asian artists and filmed them playing, doing all this stuff. And we got them all doing the little Uzi Vert dance, you know, the, okay. this little yeah, thing yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was so funny because people in the beginning, they're like, I don't think they want to do the little Uzi Vert dance. And I asked them that question every single person person was like, hell yeah, let's, let's do it. Do it. Let's do no. it. So we cut it up and had them all dancing together and things like that. So it was great, man. It was great. And so I've learned how to get backstage, get to interview, talk to people, do this stuff. You know, I even went to Saget Festival in Budapest, free tickets because I interviewed one guy. So I got hmm. 600 US dollar tickets for a Ooh, six day festival. Sweet. And those European festivals are serious too. Huh. How many people? 400,000. No. Insane. That's Insane. so stupid. Yeah, it was crazy. So- <laughs> But the headliners were like David Guetta, Florence and the Machine, uh, Macklemore, oh, Diplo, stuff like dude. that. So it was a great experience. I love it. I love being part of the media and talking to people and giving people, basically we're biased to, we want to find good stuff and expose people to good stuff. So when I hear a Japanese hip hop track, I'm like, damn, this shit is fly. Let's write about it. Boom. Mm. So that's what we do. And mm. it's cool. And we find fashion designers. We do, you know, all kinds of things. So I'm writing, I was just writing the thing about the Beastie Boys Square actually today. Okay. So, you know. I still 30, 30, I'm 49, I'm 48 coming on 49. So I'm almost the same age as hip hop. Right, 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 it's right. It's still feeding me. Uh, 
Mm. Okay. Hip hop is feeding me. This is how far the global reach of hip hop has gotten. In Taiwan, you can have a job writing about hip hop. Yeah. From the Bronx from to Harlem. One party. To, exactly. One party yeah. to this. It's incredible. And so anyone who's mad that they're mumble rappers or they don't like hip hop these days, they need to see hip hop from the other side of the world. Okay. And you see hip hop from the other side of the world and you'll be like, Damn. So speaking of that, what do you think about the Asian hip hop scene, man? I love it. What the big thing was a few years ago was that everyone was trying to rap in English. Oh, okay. And it wasn't very good because it was very broken English. It was very stilted. They weren't writing in a natural thing. And what people started doing was going, why don't I rap in in my my own own language? language?" Yeah. And people were like, light bulb, shit, that's good. You hear Taiwanese sounds really good on reggae music. Okay. It's got a nice flow on it. You know what I mean? Like Japanese sounds good. Indian rap right now. I mean, Thai, the guys from Titanium who who, who I I consider my friends Mm. started 20 years ago and no one liked hip hop in Thailand. And now it's the biggest selling. They're the OGs. Titanium. They're the OGs. And I can send this guy a message and be like, yo, Kahlo, I'm coming in tomorrow night. You want to kick it? Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's what, that's what hip hop has done for me. So it's dope, man. It's dope. And so while I don't understand the intricacies of all the lyrics, what I can tell you about is that flow was good. This sounds good. I can watch someone's career. There's a girl in Indonesia called Ramen Girl. Mm. She just put up a video that she had like eight dancers and came out onto the stage for a festival on the back of a motorcycle talking on the phone like she couldn't even be bothered to do it. You know, just kind of like do the millennial. I'm too cool for whatever. And I was like, you are blowing up. Ramen girl. Ramen girl. She She, speaks. She raps in like Bahasa. She raps in Bahasa. She raps in English. She raps in all of it. Okay. All these guys are doing English, Korean, Japanese, three or four languages per song, man. It is dope. And so what just happened recently in Asian hip hop, which is the biggest news, is that this guy called Easy Mill got signed by Dre and Eminem. Yeah. He's a Filipino. Filipino. Guess what's going to happen to that dude? He is going to blow up because you know what what Dr. Dre does to people? Okay. He blows them up. 50 Cent, Eminem, Game, NWA. This is... Dr. Dre. This is Eminem. They're not coming out trying to get some punk off the street. Yeah. Okay. Right. So now they've got an Asian rapper. Do you know what that's going to do? Every crew wants to have a dope Asian rapper in it. So instead of MC Jin, who paved the mm, way a long MC time, Jin, a long yep, time ago, exactly. and I DJ for him a few times in China. Oh, dope. There's going to be ramen girl is going to blow the F up. Okay, mm. she's got it. There's a couple other. I mean, Jay Park is already huge in his own sense, oh, of course. but he's more kind of like a pop idol. But now mm. the Korean wave is hip hop. Okay, so it's going from K pop to K hop. Mm. Okay, there's girls in a band called XG, these Japanese girls. They're kind of like a J pop band, but they freestyle. So instead of just dancing, singing, doing all the stuff they teach you in those K pop schools, right, 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 right. Like now they're pink, teaching yeah. you to freestyle. Oh, wow. Now they're teaching you how to write graffiti. Mm. Now they're giving you the elements of hip hop because right. that's what you, they want you to break. They want you to do all this shit and you get a video and you freestyle and oh, you're wow. dope. 
So it's changing. It's the changing of the guard right now. Easy Mill definitely has, is going to have it, but there's going to be, that's the first domino that's just going to, Asian hip hop is blowing up, but it's going to take it to five levels beyond what it is right now. I can feel it. I can sense it. I know what's happening. I can watch it and just see like festivals and this and that and that. And just the way people went crazy. When I was in Thailand, the dopest rapper in Thailand is not Titanium. They're dope. They're the yeah, OGs. They're, they're OG, yeah. But the hottest guy on the street is called Young Om, okay? Mm -hmm. Because he's uh, he's got a mullet, he's got bad teeth, whatever, and just is the dopest dude. And my informal survey of taxi drivers, bar girls, people was like, hey, a lot of bar who, girls. Who's your favorite rapper? Because when I was there, I asked everyone I met, right, right, who's course. your favorite Thai rapper? 99% of them said Young Om. Oh. His song, which is not that not his best song was blowing up everywhere. He played at like six o'clock and had the place rock. I mean, it was he's the guy of it now. He had a New Year's Eve show wearing a purple suit with like cranes and violins and all this stuff. Like you're giving people a chance to get a budget to do these cool things, and they're doing it really cool. Mm. You know what I mean? So have you heard of Sue Boy from uh, yeah, Vietnam? Yeah, Sue Boy. She yeah. beatboxed for Obama. She was on our cover. Oh, dope. Okay? So yeah, I, I, I hung out with her in Venice. Actually, she's she's super super dope man yep. she's she's the queen of, of vietnam Vietnamese, exactly 100 you know? and so they're Shout in out. vietnam one of the things that's going on there is there's two or three cats that are making their own style of music mm. this dude named loji man he is so dope because everything he puts out is different than his last one and it's dope in a new way and it's just they got all these like tuk tuk drivers dancing with them and just all you know like low budget everything but so dope mm. you know what i mean and you're just like hell yeah and Vietnam right now is the next Thailand. That's where the growth is, man. That's where the growth is. And so they're doing crazy stuff over there, man. And then what about all the way up in Mongolia? Mongolia. <laughs> the two OGs that I know is the one queen is called Miss M. She's Miss dope. M. Miss okay. M. She's super dope. And Ginjin. Ginjin. He just put out an Afrobeats summer anthem. And I like that as much as I like any of the summer songs I do. It's dope. And we've been getting to go there. I've been getting to go there with my crew. I've gone once by myself. I went one time in the winter when it was minus 35. Oh, man. I went in June just recently. And now we're going back in two weeks. And Mongolia is awesome. Oh, dude, okay. what's going on in Ulaanbaatar? Ulaan, Ubi City has it, you know, like it's just this building, bubbling nightlife. I know. Mongolians are on fire right now. They're they're developing like crazy these days. They're, I mean, the thing is, is they have, <laughs> there's so many people in Ubi City and the roads are so bad. They have 12 hours of traffic jams every day. Okay. Really? So sometimes it can take you 15 minutes to get somewhere. Sometimes it can take you two hours. So it's, it's crazy like that. But as far as the nightlife, man, they're just, people want to spend money. You know what I mean? They're just getting a little bit of cash. They don't have to worry about feeding themselves. They weren't, mm -hmm. you know, they just start making a little bit of money and then, Hey, you want to go get some bottles, get some things like that. And man, it's fun. People like it and they love hip hop. You know what I mean? So oh, man. We're, we're, we're riding it over there. We're riding it over there. It's great. We got a good guy named Marcus over there. He's taking care of us and just, you know, he's making sure everything works. And that's all we need to do is just make sure we'll do whatever he needs us to do as long as it works. And when we get paid, boom, we'll do whatever you want to do. Mm. You know, so they got us doing some crazy shit. We're trying to figure it out and just, you know. Yeah. Whatever. What are you doing over there? I'm going in two weeks to open a nightclub 
with a group I'm with called Planet Hip Hop. We're four DJs and we're going to all do some crazy, you know, get hype, get some twerk dancers up there, get some people on the stage dancing with us, all this stuff. So it's the grand opening of this super fancy, expensive members club. Oh, okay. And so we're the headlining acts for the first weekend. Oh, that's cool. So that's pretty dope, and man. And it's a hip-hop only club. Are they going to have other nights? or They have three rooms. So one guy in our club is French. My group is French. So he's going to play some house music in one one of the rooms. Another room is like for live music. So they have jazz in it, stuff like that. So the wow. main room is a banger room. Just play bangers, you know, stuff like that. But man, you know, Mongolia is dope. It's great to go there. This past time we went there and we got to learn the history of Genghis Khan and go to the <sighs> statue. Exactly. The Genghis Khan statue is bigger than the Statue of Liberty. You know right. what I mean? Like it's crazy. And it's in the middle of nowhere. As soon as you get outside UB City, it's just different. It's like how the how the places look in Africa are different. It's like the mountains, yeah, the, the mountains, steps, the, the, yeah, the steps. steps of- it's just it just looks incredible and just blue sky, no pollution. You know what <sighs> I mean? It's just it's beautiful there. So yeah, Mongolia is where it's at, man. I love it. And we're going again and we're going to rock the shit out of that place. Oh, I love it, man. And speaking of travel, let's yeah. go to another continent. We yeah. were in Asia right now, oh, yeah. but what about Africa? We have a connection with Africa. I've been there quite yeah. a few times and you've uh, traveled a bit. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. I traveled from Cairo to Cape Town and that was one of the most fantastic experiences of my life. It was That's it, pretty far, Cairo <laughs> to Cape Town. And to think, you know, I did it on 3,000 3, US dollars, okay? That was and a lonely planet guide. That was what What we, year was this? 2000 and 2000 because it was Oh, it's way back in way, the day. Way back in the day. So right when I got years ago. Right when I got to Taiwan, my uncle was like, "Go see some of these places before they get developed." Interesting. You know what I mean? Okay. And he's Smart. And so I was thinking about South America, I was thinking about this stuff and I was like, "I want to try to backpack somewhere. I've never done I've traveled, but not travel travel right you know so i want to try to do it and man it changed it changed my life really it changed my life one of the the coolest experience the craziest i'll give you the craziest first so i thought it was going to be dangerous right especially southern africa yeah it was the nicest friendliest warmest people i've ever felt in my life there they have a bus system they use like the little kindergarten buses kind of from here mm, like they, they kind the of send buses. them yeah they send them they send them to africa after they've used them for 20 right. years here and they don't just pull up and leave. They wait. They pull up at a stop and wait for people to get in. So they wait for it to fill up, pay the money, nothing, and then they'll go. So we're waiting at this bus and this Jeep pulls up with like five guys hanging off the back with machine guns. And the bus driver just starts revving it up. Turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around. This one guy's like, come on, come on. We got to run. We got to run. We got to run. And I'm like, holy shit. This is in Malawi. Okay. Okay. It's in deep, Malawi. Deep, wow. Deep in the heart of Africa. Yeah. And we're like, oh shit, shit, what's, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Come on, come on. It's like, that's the police. The guy didn't want to get a fine for parking in the wrong place. <laughs> that's fine. So we thought like a bomb is going off. There's something like that. And he just didn't want to get a fine. Yeah. These machine gun dudes like, <laughs> yeah. don't give me a ticket, yo. Yeah. So that was a good one. We did a 24 hour bus ride, two or three of those actually. And this one was the nightmare of nightmares because another bus broke down on the side of the road and we had to pick up everybody from that bus and put them in our bus because the driver said, if we didn't do it, they wouldn't help him the next time. Oh, I see. So okay. chickens, the little cages with chickens. And just so it's double the amount of people in like an old U.S. school bus, like right. those old ones with the bad chairs yeah, and the yeah, green yeah. chairs. The fake leather. We got, we got <laughs> to the end of where that was. It was the day that Al Gore and uh, George Bush, was the election day. 
think so. So yeah, 2000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the driver, the guy who was in the front seat said he was going to give us a ride to our hostel. Cool. Good, good, good. We get there. He buys a thing of bananas, like a big thing and says, oh, sorry, we don't have room for you. I'm putting the bananas in my front seat instead of having you guys do it. <laughs> And we're just like, F you, you know, whatever. Mm. Dude. It's three in the morning. We're at the bus stop. Taxi drivers are there and they're like, hey, hey, hey. And they're trying to charge us like 10 times the amount because they watched this guy just tell us, get out of here. Right? Right. So we start walking. Like, fuck it. We're just going to walk. This is before phones, whatever, you know, stuff like that. We start walking. This car pulls up. Dude looks at me and goes, get in the car right now. Whoa. I'm like, what? He's like, get in the car right now. Okay. Got in the car. He's like, I'm from Philly. <laughs> Wait, You're in the most dangerous place in this city. No way. Okay? He's like, I cannot believe someone hasn't robbed you already. Okay. Damn. So we only walked two or three blocks. He was a guy doing the Coca-Cola bottle factories or changing from glass to plastic. So he was implementing his new machines and doing whatever, starting from South Africa. And he was all the way up to wherever we were in Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, somewhere like that. So he took us. So American dude. American dude saw these, saw <laughs> these foreigners. Two these stupid what? foreigners. <laughs> One was Taiwanese, so she wasn't she wasn't stupid. Well, she was stupid to be with me, but, right. <laughs> but uh, sees us walking and just saves our ass. You know, that's it, crazy. But we didn't feel we didn't feel threatened because it was three in the morning, so there was no one out. Right, but, but that's the worst. Like, they creep like, up on yeah, you. Yeah, and he's like, "This is so dangerous. I cannot believe you're even walking here." Because we have our passports, we have everything. You have the big backpack. You have your whole you life have, in you. Yeah, every, every in single that thing. And he took us to the gas station, bought us food, took us to the hostel, and you just learn everything's gonna be all right. Whoa. You know, you can figure it out. You can figure out when when you're at your lowest low, it's gonna be all right. So from Egypt, what was the itinerary like? Which So we wanted did to go, go we wanted to go through Sudan, uh, but we couldn't on Darfur. that on that and yeah, the, the civil war that's still happening mm. was I think it probably is a different civil war now. Mm. But I haven't it's been following mutated, I haven't right? I haven't been following too closely. But the same style of things we couldn't leave, we couldn't go through Egypt. So we went to Ethiopia, then we flew to Ethiopia, then we flew down to Kenya, Nairobi, and we went on a, a safari Ooh, that was nice. during the middle of the what wildebeest migration. So no. I've seen things, you know, like when you get to Africa, you're like, wow, giraffe. Oh my God. Look, there's rhinoceros. Wow. Look, there's yeah, wildebeest. There's, there's this, there's all this stuff. The first day by the 10th day, you're like, eh, yeah, exactly. Look at that giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We took trains through these countries where the window opens, you know, like a sleeper train. You rent your own, it has two beds in it, 50 style train. And it's just, you know, out the window are elephants and all this stuff, man. It was fantastic. Holy shit. So I highly recommend going to Africa for anybody ever. Just go, go somewhere in there and you will have a blast because it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. Went to Tanzania, went to all these different places, Malawi, Zimbabwe, and people said it's dangerous. There's danger there. Mm. For sure. But not one thing bad happened to us. Okay. People try to maybe overcharge us for things a little bit because you're tourists. That's what happens. You mm -hmm. know, so everywhere, everywhere. Get extra charge, $10, $5, whatever. No big deal. But it was great. So you finally made it to South Africa and then back to Taiwan. <laughs> We made it to South Africa and we broke up on the plane ride back. No way. We should. <laughs> I, I wanted to break up. Halfway through the trip, but I couldn't find any flights back to. Uh, Are you serious? I, I, I want to finish the trip and send her back. But I mean, if I look back at it now, I wouldn't want to spend two months with me going through Africa. Okay. Or anybody. I was just on vacation with my buddy and I was like, you know, I didn't realize we're going to be together for 15 days in a row. Okay. You don't need to be around someone for 15 yeah. days in a row, let alone 60 days. Shit. Yeah. And backpacking too. Yeah, and you get backpacking. to know someone real good. Yeah. You get to know a lot of the different smells of somebody. Exactly.
So it was, it was a rough relationship. It ended, but I got to see this part of the world. You just don't know, you know, like I couldn't get visas because we didn't know where we were going. Mm. So did you know, you can just show up at a country's door and they'll let, they'll let just you in. Just give you a visa. And right. they'll, they'll go, okay, here's a temporary visa. You got three days to go to the capital yeah. and get a visa. I never knew that. Yep. So it was crazy. And there's some of these small African countries, like I think it was Malawi, Taiwan. I think at that time they were recognizing Taiwan. So there okay. was a big Taiwan contingent there building a hospital hospital, doing this stuff, you know, things like that. And so mm. it was cool, man. It was really cool. And just seeing things that you're never going to see again. Oh, you know, man. I was just, I just recently hiked Jade Mountain and I'm just sitting there walking around going, I'm never going to see this, like something like this in my life again. Mm. It's that beautiful. Like, wow, take it in, take a minute, you know, take it in, look at this stuff, look at it deeply because you're never going to see this thing again. Yeah. You got to appreciate those yeah. moments. That's a shout out to another previous guest from last year, actually, yeah. Michael McCreesh. Yeah, Mike, I got to go with him. So that was oh, really dope. cool. Nice. So he, shout was, out, Mike. It was his first time going on the park bus thing and my first time. And man, I tell you, the value of park bus is incredible. Mm. Okay. What they're doing is so perfectly needed. Especially if you like hiking and you want to go somewhere, but you don't want to go up and turn around and come back the same way. They do the through hikes where you can do this whole loop and the bus will be here at the end. Mm -hmm. And people are like complaining like, oh, it's just a bus ride. I'm like, it's not just a bus ride, man. So this, this thing was great. They had a tour guide named Daniel who kind of told us everything, how to do everything, you know, and just was pushing us to be happy and telling us, hey, bring some clothes to change into when you're finished because it'll feel so good to have new clothes on after you just hiked nine kilometers one day, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So it was a great, a really, really great time. And I give Park Bus all the thumbs up I can have. Oh, you know? man. So that's it's awesome. great. It's great. And I'm, I'm, even though my leg's still a little bit sore from, from that two weeks ago. I saw you a couple of days uh, ago and you were, uh, yeah, you and were I'm, limping I'm, a bit. I'm, I'm still, I'm still kind of in that, in that thing, but we're talking about doing John Ming Lake, you know? And so that's a three day hike instead of a two day hike. And I just can't quite say no because I want to see that thing. Mm. And so it's just like you pay him some money and they just do everything for you and you just show up. Yeah. It's, great it's a really good service and i think you know mike is we talked a lot about the business and how the tourism sector and all this stuff and they're doing a really really cool thing yeah and support these people because they're doing things that make going to the top of taiwan yeah the tallest mountain in taiwan the jade four, mountain the fourth Yushan. highest mountain in asia yes. you know i mean it's huge and they make it easy exactly and so if you're like me i'm kind of a drive just see a mountain go hey i want to go up that i'm not a big like hiker with 20 people and all this stuff like that. I just walk with my dog kind of mm. and they make it great for someone like me. And so I think everyone that I was on, we were six people, five other people and everyone had a great time. Shout out again to Park Bus Park in the Bus. house. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So we are in Taiwan now. You have been yeah. here for 25 years. Woo. You are 48, going on 49. You are still rocking the party. Going on 29, come on. Exactly. Go. Going on 19, <laughs> almost 21 again, yeah. all over again, man. So what does the future look like for DJ Marcus Aurelius? I need a venue. So if anyone has a venue, please contact me. It needs to be able to be loud. It needs to go till five in the morning. I need a venue. Okay. Mm. So this year I've had to pass up on two or three gigs that were once in a lifetime gigs. Russell Peters, the comedian. Yeah. He's a DJ. He was here. Right. He and he brings with him a DJ called Starting from Scratch, who's one of the biggest DJs in Toronto. They played for twelve thousand US dollars in Singapore, and I could get them for three thousand. Oh. Okay, so I got them down to this thing, and I could not find a venue. Couldn't find a venue for them to do it, and I was so I tried. What do you think 15? the capacity would have been? 
I say there were 2,000 people at his show. If we could have got 10%, 200 people, it would have broke even. Okay? And to see Russell Peters DJing, to have him in your space, you know, like for this cheap amount of money on a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night. Everyone would have been going crazy all night. And so I couldn't do it. I tried. Oh, no and I was way. I was heartbroken. I need my own venue. DJ Headspin was coming through town. I couldn't find a space for him to play. He's a world champion. My good friend. I need a venue. Okay. So my future is having my own space. So I want, I like the beach. I like the water. If I can find a place at the water, that would be great. Mm. But that's kind of different than having a venue for touring DJ. So I want people that cost 3,000, 5,000, 2,000 cheap, okay, Mm. to come once a month and do this stuff and meet the Taiwanese people, do a workshop with kids who want to learn hip hop. What I'm going to do when I have a venue, I'm going to have one day a week where I teach DJ class for free. I'm going to teach hip hop education for free. You want to learn how to DJ? Come down on Wednesdays from 6 to 8 p.m. I'm having open lessons for free because I want people to learn about good music. I Mm. want to have access to new DJs who are excited and I want to teach them about not just DJing, branding themselves, doing all the stuff, the business, because I want to give it away. I want to give everything I have to the new next generation because that's what it's all about. That's what hip hop is about. Mm. It's helping that next guy. Get your boy up here. Get your boy over here. Get this over here. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. That's why hip hop has gone so big and that's why it will continue to expand. Mm, Nice. So you're going to be here in Taiwan. What does Taiwan mean to you, man? Taiwan means endless possibilities for me. Forever, ever is a very long time, as the poet Andre 3000 once said. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Shout out. Uh, I don't know if I'll be in Taiwan forever. Thailand looks mighty. High and mighty, actually. (laughs) It it looks really, really nice over there. Especially recently. Especially during (sighs) the winter in Taiwan. Uh, Thailand. Could I do... Could my venue be in Thailand? I do not know that answer because I'm not, I don't work in a nightlife there, you know? So I don't, I don't know. But retiring to an island and playing music and having my own club, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I can't say forever because I'm always looking for the new opportunities. But I can say that Taiwan has been an integral part of me becoming a man and me learning about society and watching the world crumble while also becoming a more upstanding person myself. So that's what it means to me. I think I'm living the American dream in Taiwan. The American dream as I saw it when I was growing up was taught, if you work hard, you will be successful. I'm here. I'm working my ass off, feel pretty successful. And it's not about money. Success to me is sunsets, sunrises. How many did you see this week? When you get to see three or four sunsets in a week, that's a good week. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sunrises don't pay the bills. I understand that you got to work hard and get the other thing, but I make it a plan to like go hike a mountain at five o'clock so I can see the sunset. That's what I built my life into. And I think that's a pretty good life. And so I work hard. I get rewarded by going to a waterfall and it's fantastic. man. The nature in Taiwan is just the fact that you can find any river and just go hike it with your dog, go to a waterfall, jump off the edge of the waterfall. No one cares. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Go do it. Yeah, sure. Go do it. Be careful. Perfect. That's how it should be. Not suing. Don't sue us because of this. Don't sue us. No, you die. You die. Sorry. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you were stupid, Mm -hmm. but man, I love Taiwan and it holds a very near and dear place in my heart. And I may be here forever. I don't know. I can't see leaving, but also I also, I'm open to whatever happens. It happens for Mm -hmm. 
for mm. a reason. So I'm kind of going that way. Oh, nice, man. Okay. So finally, you mentioned the big one coming up is yes, Halloween. Sir. What does the rest of the year look like? What about this Halloween one and the yeah, rest of the year? I got three big events coming up right now. So this week, this Saturday is the Havana Grand Finale rooftop party in Taichung. So that's going to be massive. The next Two weeks after that, on September 30th, I'm bringing DJ Woody, who what he's doing is he is an audio and visual DJ. So he's an OG world champion DJ. He DVJs. So he's made his own history of hip hop. So from the beginning to now, he's doing a two hour set with the videos that he's created to go with the songs he's made. And he can scratch and mix the videos while he's scratching and mixing this. So it is so dope. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's in the middle of Maji Square on September 30th. If you're listening to this, hit me up. I got tickets for you. It's 500. It's cheap. So that's going to be an awesome night. And then the big granddaddy of mall, which is my baby, is called Resurrected 14. I've done 14 Halloween parties and we have costume contests. If you win the group prize, you get $15,000, man. 15,000 NTD. 15,000 NTD. Mm. And these people dress up. These guys that have won the last few years, one guy was a garbage truck transformer. (laughs) and, And God. Got up on stage and transformed. Made out of cardboard. Like a homemade costume. Homemade costume. Damn. They came last year. Taiwanese engineering. They came last year as G-Pie. Oh, G-Pie. And they had a picture of them. chicken. Two two (laughs) G-Pies. And then they made some for their dogs. So that's what this guy does. He just does crazy shit. That's hilarious. And so you got to come hard with these people. Go really hard at trying to win a costume contest. So that's great. Three stages, 30 DJs till six in the morning. It's going to be great. October 28th. Again, you can hit me up. I got tickets. I can deliver them to your house. But also be reminded this event has sold out the last two years. So get your tickets. They actually actually go on sale this Wednesday. And they might be gone by the beginning of October. So get your tickets today oh man or hit me up and i'll save you a ticket and deliver it to you or you can meet me at taipei main station i will get it to you oh nice okay so we run a delivery service so it's great i you know that's one of the things is it gets me to meet a lot of people hey Mm. some tickets cool come down and meet me at taipei main station here's some tickets oh nice take a picture put it on instagram Mm. you know and so it's just promotion doing nice things for people like it you know so it's good where's this venue Tiger Mountain. Shit, how did I not say that? Yeah, exactly. Tiger Mountain is, it has magic. It is basically a parking lot. And it's a place where people can hike down and get some water when they finish. It's an abandoned temple. So they have a temple that like got halfway through and they didn't have any money for it. Mm-hmm. So it's all made up, but kind of not finished. So it's great. It's the temple of hip hop. That's where the hip hop is. And that room is one of my favorite places to play because it breathes. Mm. That room is energy. It's probably two or 300 people in there just at once. And everyone is going crazy and you can feel Feel it. It's amazing. Then we got the house music in the front, which is great for that. And we got the techno jungle. Got to find where the techno jungle is. Got to go through the jungle to find the techno jungle. And you find the techno jungle and it's small and it's cramped and it's dirty. There might be tigers out there. And there are so many people in half of a costume because they they sweated the costume (laughs) off. 
It's six in the morning. They're still going. We're let the DJ play one more song, one more song, one more song. Come on, yeah, screaming. It's amazing <sighs> with it, their costumes on. With half or of a, off, half of a costume. By the time it's six a.m., makeup ripped down your face. You know, it's six a.m. We have to kick everybody out at six a.m. It's so funny to see what people like in the <laughs> morning. On, yeah, what happened? What happened to you? What ha- you started off as Harley Quinn, and now I don't know. You're Harley, right now. You you're Harley transformed. Dav- now you're Harley Davidson. Harley Davidson. <laughs> We do a really, a really good party up there. People like it. I invite everybody. If you want to have a really, really crazy time to come to this Halloween party, because it is the best in Taiwan. 14 years, Asia's longest running Halloween party. If you want to get crazy, this is the place to get crazy. All right. So where can people reach you if they need tickets? At DJ Marcus A on everything. So mm. just hit me up. I answer everything personally, quickly. I'm always around. You could talk to me. If you want to talk to me about anything, music, anything, I'm here. I'm listening to you. I'll talk. I'll talk shit. I love talking shit to people. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I'll talk to you. DJ Marcus A at on Twitter, on threads. Does anyone even look at threads? Oh, <laughs> am I on Twitter still? I don't know. <laughs> That, that hurts my feelings that I'm still on there, but we're still on there. Anyway, anything, Facebook, all of it. Resurrected is on Facebook. There's a resurrected.halloween Instagram. There's a Havana.taipei Instagram. Go to those places, follow them, send me messages. I'll reply. Oh man, I love it. I love yeah. it, man. I love it. Thank yeah. you very much for coming and talking shit with Thank us. Thank you for having me, man. Mocha and I. I really appreciate it. Mocha's yeah. in the house. Exactly. So yeah, I look forward to coming to see see some of your sets. Yeah, I, I would really, I would time. really like you to come to this halloween party oh 100 I, th- I, I think i think you you want to come to this halloween i think party. i want to come i think i need to come <laughs> it, i think it, everyone it needs to be there so let's do, make it happen do. cool all right all right thank you very thank much you. thank DJ. you thank you thank you all right so with that we are out for now but we will see you soon peace everyone yo 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 yo